Alrighty. So, um, I wonder if you think back on your life, who it, who it is that's had the biggest influence on you, right? If you if you look back, who is it that's actually had the biggest influence on you? Now we live in a individualistic sort of society, so maybe your first response is that uh, actually no one, no one. I, I'm the one that carved out my path. I'm the one that made my life what it is today. It was all me. I, I did that. But let me, if I can respectfully disagree with you, I don't believe you. Because <laughs> we're all influenced by the people around us, aren't we? Whether that's our colleagues, our friends, most definitely our families. Who you are today is a result of people in your life in the past. I just want to, um, yeah, I, I'm from a migrant family. A lot of you guys are um, here probably as well. And migrant families, like, you know, that, that's such a clear example of that because, you know, one decision made by one person in your family, whether that's your parents, your grandparents, you know, great-grandparents, like, that completely changed the whole course of your life. You know, I often think about what would have happened if my parents never came uh, to Australia from Malaysia. That's where I'm from originally. My, my life, would, I would be a completely different person. You know. All of this to say is that uh, one person in the past and their decisions can have a profound impact, well, does have a profound impact on who you are today. Your identity is shaped by figures in your past. And today, as we look at this passage, we're trying to really discover, you know, if, if we really want to discover who we are, you know, identity is so important, right? If we really want to discover who we are, we need to go back to two history-changing events, two history-changing people, actually, Adam and Jesus. Adam and Jesus. Only when we grasp this can we really see who we are. Now, um, not all of you were here um, last week. I think last week you, you preached through the first half of chapter 5. Um, so just a brief context. Chapter 5, amazing verses 1 to 11. It just really outlines this gospel hope that we have, that Jesus Christ died for us, not when we were good, but while we were still sinners. Why would he do that? doesn't make any sense, but he's died for us while we're still sinners, and that means he secured for us an eternal hope that nothing else can ever surpass, right? If he died for us while we're still sinners, of course he's going to save us on that final day. Now, this verse, these verses carry on from that, and it actually looks at the two main powers and enemies that threaten to kill that hope, sin and death, right? And it's going to investigate these two enemies of hope, sin and death, and show us that because of even these enemies can't take away the hope that Jesus Christ has. Okay, so that just gives you a little overview, a little context. But here's the first question we need to ask, and let's see if this clicker works. I don't know if it does. Am I? I don't think it's working, but maybe, okay. Um, it's what does it mean to be human? So have a look in your Bibles with me, Romans 5, verse 12 to 13. Have a look in your Bibles. 12 to 13. Let me read these verses. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Wow, there's so many things in those verses, so let's break it down. Uh, let's start by taking a close look at verse 12. And, yeah, uh, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. 
So what we need to note here is that the bottom line, Adam sinned and this changes everything, right? This changes anything, everything. The first man, Adam, chose to disobey God, to rebel against his creator, to sin. And when he sinned, it wasn't just a small little stumble, an innocent mistake. It wasn't just a harmless mistake. Through his sin, of his act of sin, he invited into the world the power of sin. He invited into the world the power of sin. And that, that is something that has changed our world ever since that day. Have you ever turned on the news and you were just struck by what's going on in the world? Uh, news of another mass shooting, another, you know, earlier this week uh, in America, another shooting, some race, ha- racial hatred, mass shootings, terrorist attacks. Oh, I remember watching when this happened as a high school kid. It, was, it shocked me. Another act of police brutality, another violent riot. Do you, do you ever wonder why the world is so messed up? Have you ever wondered that? It's because of Adam's sin. The, pow- the power of sin that entered the world as a result of what he did. You see, friends, s- sin isn't just little naughty things that you do. You know, like on the ads, they always portray sin like this, hey, the seven sins, magnum ice cream, so good. You know, like, it's like these amazing, like little, it, it's almost like a positive thing. They're not, sin isn't these naughty little things you do now and again. Sin is a destructive power. In Romans, it's personified as, as a force, a power. Chapter 6 and 7 later on says, it, it's something to be obeyed. It pays wages. It seizes opportunity. It deceives. It kills. Sin's a power. Here in chapter 5, it's described as reigning over creation. It's a master that enslaves, that grips the hearts of all people. It ruins our world. And we're still feeling the catastrophic consequences of sin today because what comes because of sin what comes because of sin Romans 5 12 says this therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and death through this through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned Back in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam everything he needed, but there was one thing he wasn't to do, to not eat from one tree. And God warned him, when you eat of it, you will surely die. And what God said came true that day. Adam died spiritually that day when he sinned, as he was cut off from God's life-giving presence, and ultimately he died physically too. When Adam invited sin into the world, he invited death into the world as well. Yep. I don't know if you've ever talked to those people who say, oh yeah, death's just a natural thing. It's just, death's just natural. It just happens to everyone. Let me tell you, it's the most unnatural thing that could ever happen. And you feel that, right? I don't know if you've had a close one um, pass away. Um, I've, I've had yeah, some pass away close to me. And you, you know that it's not supposed to be like that. You don't go, oh yeah, that's just a natural thing that happens. Just get old and die or whatever. You feel it deep down that this shouldn't be happening. This is deeply unnatural. This does not belong in this creation. Why do young babies have to die? Why, do, why does this person have to... What's going on here? You feel that, don't you? And that's because sin doesn't belong here. And death doesn't belong here. Every fiber of our being cries out, this isn't meant to be. 
when we encounter death. Um, I've been to a few funerals in my time, and uh, yeah, there's just the grief in the morning, you know, the pain there. There's no stronger testimony that we know deep in ourselves that death doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong in this creation. And here's the thing. None of us can escape it. None of us can escape death. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We all die. It doesn't matter how healthy you are or how fit you are, how, 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 much, how much you can lift in the gym, it doesn't matter. Because you all die, you can't beat it, right? Some of you have felt the pain of loved ones passing away. You know this to be true. Some of you struggle with chronic illness. You know this to be true. Some of you think you're invincible because you're young. You're not. Trust me. (laughs) The main point Paul is trying to make here is this. Um, Sorry, my slides, I don't think, are exactly where I want them to be. That's okay. (laughs) No one escapes the power of death because no one escapes the power of sin. That's the big point Paul's trying to make here, the Apostle Paul as he writes Romans. No one escapes the power of death because no one escapes the power of sin. This is the foundation of all that Paul will later on say. That's the reign of death and sin is all-encompassing. We need a solution. All right? We need to get this. This is the first thing we need to get. No one can escape the reign of death because no one escapes the power of sin. But before we get there, I want to take a look at um, this part of the text, which is um, at the end of verse 12, uh, that says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Because all sinned. Now, I wonder, have you ever thought about this? What it means? We've seen that through Adam's sin, that the power of sin entered the world and thus the power of death. But what's the relationship between Adam's sin and ours? What's the relationship between this dude who lived so long ago that I've got nothing to do with? How come I'm, I'm a part of this? This doesn't seem very fair. Um, I want to point out the text doesn't give us the mechanics of how this exactly works. That's not the, whole pur- that's not the purpose. But here are some observations. We need to acknowledge, firstly, that we have a sinful nature. Our default disposition is not to love God. That's just a reality. It's to love ourselves. It's to, it, it's to take Him off the throne and put us there instead. Let's be honest, we're all selfish, myself included. I'll be the first one to admit that. Me-centered, not God-centered. That's the, that's the core of sin. I don't know if someone's ever... Um, have you ever heard this line before when people say, Oh, you're only human. When did they say that line? When you stuffed up, all right? When you made a mistake. How accurate that line actually is. You're only human. Yeah, because you're imperfect. You're a sinner. That's the default disposition of us. We acknowledge, Christian or not Christian, that to be human is to be fundamentally flawed. It's to be imperfect. It's to fail. Let me put it this way. To be human is to be sinful. We fall short of what God has made us to be because we do things our way and not God's way. And you see the sinful nature even in young children. I've got four kids, I know. Trust me, I've never told my, taught my child to be sinful. I didn't go, 
hey, Jacob, um, I'm going to teach you today to throw your food off the table, okay? Let's go. Let's do this. Um, uh, hey, Geordie, I'm going to teach you to scream no at me when I tell you to do something. It's going to be great. Come on, guys. Let's... You don't have to teach your kids to do that. They know. They know. They rebel because of sinful nature in their hearts. We inherit from Adam his sinful nature, which means we all sin. We're all guilty for our actions, which is why the text can say, in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. None of us are innocent. We can't claim to be innocent. can't just go, hey, it's Adam's fault. We're all sinners. But I actually think this verse is saying even more as well. In verse 18 and 19, yep, 18 and 19, it says this. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Now, there seems to be this corporate element to the sin that's happening here that is apart from just us individually doing wrong things. So we're very individualistic in culture, in our culture here in Australia, even if you're you know, from a more corporate background. Um, when I say corporate, I mean like a more community-based background. We're very individualistic in the way we think. So we're always thinking about the things we do, I do wrong, or what's I, what am I responsible for? But actually, that's not how things worked um, in the biblical times. And there's a bigger picture here. There, there is a sense where Adam's sin is our sin. It's as if we were right there with him, sinning with him, because Adam is the head. He's the representative of humanity. What is true of him is true of us. And our individualistic science automatically says, this is so unfair. It's so unfair. It wasn't us, it was him. But we need to realize that this was the dominant thinking back then rooted in the Old Testament too. The fact that one person's actions could be regarded as the actions of many was quite normal. Even for us in our families, when you think about it, what one person in our family did in the past, we inherit the advantages or disadvantages of today. You know, there's this, there's this, even today, I think there's a sense that the sin is passed down to the family, the shame that's passed down to the family that you have to bear, right? Even if you weren't the one that actually did it. In the end, here's the bottom line. All of this to say really clearly, this is what Paul's trying to get us to, to understand. We are all sinners standing in solidarity in the sin of Adam. And because of that, we all die. This is what it means to be human. By default, this is who you are. A sinner. I'm sorry this isn't a feel-good sermon, but I don't think... This is supposed to make us feel good. We're supposed to get this. To be human, you are a sinner. That's, that's what it means to be human. Maybe as I say these things, you're getting a bit angry. You're saying, how dare you? You don't know me. You can't call me a sinner. Or maybe you're getting it for the first time. This is why my life is so broken and why there's so much pain and why I keep stuffing up and why people hurt me. Friends, this is the unfortunate reality. We can't run away from it. Whatever your response, I need to tell you, this is the truth of who you are. But here's the good news. This is not who you were made to be. This is not who you were made to be. And we're at our second point, which is becoming a new person. Becoming a new person. Have a look at verse 15 in your Bibles with me, okay? Verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, 
how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gifts followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Did you notice a word there that was repeated over and over again? Gift. Gift. Over and over. The gift of God. When we were in the most hopeless situation, God steps in to give us a gift. His gift? Jesus Christ. And every blessing that his death and resurrection brings for us. He gives his own son. Here's the thing about gifts. By their very nature, they are undeserved. You don't earn gifts. That's something that we can all... That's a good lesson for us, actually, because sometimes we don't think like that. You know, Gifts are actually undeserved. You don't earn them. People say that it's unfair that Adam's sin impacts us. Do you know what's unfair? That God would send his only son to die for us when we just when we least deserved it, while we were still his enemies. What do we do to deserve that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. As we compare the gift of Christ and the sin of Adam, what we see is contrast. The rest of this passage, they just give us contrast. It's like a diamond that's shown to be even more brilliant when it's put against a black background. That's what they do in the jewelry stores. And verse 15, we'll start here. Um, or maybe, sorry. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many die by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Here's the first contrast. Adam brings death. Jesus brings grace. And the how much more language shows us that the overflow of grace is more powerful than death. It's bigger. It's better. The truth comes up in verse 20 as well. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Death seems like the undefeatable power, but the grace of God is stronger even than death. Doesn't death, death is like, by nature, when we look at death, we're like, nothing can beat death. No, no one can defeat death, but God can. His grace overcomes death. The picture here is of abundance and overflow of grace. Think of it this way. Sin can't build a dam high enough that can hold grace back. Grace is more powerful than sin. In our second contrast, as we keep going, verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Adam brings condemnation, Jesus Christ brings justification. Here's the second contrast. Justification has been a huge theme so far in Romans. It's a legal term, which means in the law court, you're declared not guilty. You're declared right. You're righteous. This verse is telling us that even though one sin did, one sin did massive damage, one gracious gift in Jesus undoes all that damage. The verdict for those who are with Jesus is not guilty. Not guilty. And our third contrast. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, 
How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? Now, here's actually the most surprising contrast. I don't know if you notice. It's, it starts by saying, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through one man. So you, you'd expect the second half to say, how much more will life reign through Jesus? But it doesn't say that. Did you notice? The opposite of death reigning is actually the reign of Christians. It says, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What does this mean? Well, if you're a believer, if you've received God's abundant provision of grace, if you have received the gift of righteousness that comes in Jesus, you are a ruler You reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And the theme of ruling and reigning, you you might have noticed, has been sort of underlying things here. Because if you take a trip back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam's first sin happened, do you you know what Adam's uh, role was? It was to rule. To rule the world under God. But instead, he wanted to rule the world instead of God. And ironically, in in, in his sin, he invited the rule of sin and death into his life, and that's oppressed humankind ever since that day. But this verse tells us that through the grace of Jesus Christ, through his gift, that those who are justified in Christ are now rulers again. We're redeemed. We're rulers in life. It means we are reconnected to the life giver, our creator God. And spiritually, we are revived. It means that through our mortal bodies, we we still die physically, but we will rise again, never to die again. We rule over death. It does not defeat us. We're rulers. We're being redeemed to what we were meant to be. We're we're not going to see the the fullness of this until the final day when Jesus returns and takes us back to be with him. But what if I told you right now that you rule, you're a ruler in life. Through Jesus Christ, human beings now enjoy the rule we were made for. The kingdom of God is here, right now, amongst us. It's not a place you fly off to in the end, it's here. Because the kingdom comes when we live under God's rule, where we submit to the King, Jesus Christ, and we rule for His sake and glory. Do you realize that, friends? In Christ you recover true humanity. We spend so much of our life searching out identity. Who are we? Who who, who am I? You've got to look back to who you were made to be. You've got to realize that sin completely stuffed that up. But Christ has redeemed you back to the fullness of who you were meant to be, a ruler in life. Your call is to live under God's reign, ruling on his behalf. This is a call for everyone, if you are human. This is who you're meant to be, to live under God's rule, reigning on his behalf, ruling in this world. What's that look like? Well, it's being an instrument of his grace in this world to bring more people into his kingdom. It's helping more people bow their knee to Jesus and to live with him as their king. It's loving people as your king loves people. Every time you do that, you're living, acknowledging Jesus Christ, the ruler and you're helping his rule go out into this world. As we move here, verses 18 to 20, here's the big summary. You've done well, guys. It's a dense passage. 
18 to 20. Here's the big summary. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now, who, who would have thought that one action by one man could have had such a big impact? Who would have thought that? Adam's trespass. His disobedience means condemnation and sin for all. But thanks be to God for another action by another man who's got an even bigger impact. Jesus' obedience. An obedience that led him to even obey to death on the cross brings justification and life and righteousness for all. The hope that we have for Christian, as Christians is incredible. But let me acknowledge something, that this can be hard to hold on to in the face of sin that's destroying our life. Addictions, lust, unholy pleasures, worldliness. It can be hard to hold on to this hope. And it's even harder to hold on to in the face of sickness and death. A lot of you are young and well, and, but you know, as we progress, some of you even now, you're struggling with sickness. You feel the grip of death. And it's hard. But the whole point of this passage is that even sin and death, as powerful as they are, do not destroy our hope. They can't. As dominant as death and sin are, Jesus, Jesus Christ has conquered both powers, showing without death that He is greater. You see, Christ's life-giving obedience is more powerful than the death-giving disobedience of Adam. We need to understand that. Christ's life-giving obedience is more powerful than the death-giving disobedience of Adam. Even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. This is the truth that we need to keep clinging on to. And the big question as we end is this, is who do you belong to? We need to know that when it says that one righteous act brings justification and life to all, this isn't saying that every single person in the world is saved. It's talking about those in Christ, those that belong to Christ. So as we ask the question of identity, who are you? The big question to ask actually is who do you belong to? You might define yourself based on your race, your nationality, your education, your role, your, your job, your, you know, whether you're a husband, a wife, a son, daughter, you're, the only thing that matters when it comes to who you are really is being in Adam or Christ. That's where it's going to come down to. There's only two choices here. Who you are is based on who you belong to. If you're not yet a believer, I'd, I'd urge you to shift over from Adam to Christ, to choose the right person to follow you don't have to be resigned to the fact that to be human is to be under the power of sin and death. Adam no longer has to define you. You can be a whole new person in Jesus Christ, justified, forgiven, victorious. And guess what? Remember, this is a gift. It's free. I want you to know that God loves you and has proven that by sending his son to die for you. Not while you're good, but while you were a sinner. Will you receive that gift? you just got to have open hands. 
For those of us who are believers here, next week in Romans 6, you're going to see practically how this new identity in Christ frees you to live a completely different way, to break free from sin and live for righteousness. But today, I want you just to take a minute to really take in what's happened. Jesus Christ has beaten sin and death. It means we no longer have to be resigned to the fact that sin and death rule us. It means that we can overcome sin and death. Yes, we have the power to do that. We can reign in life with Jesus the King because He gives us everlasting life. Never forget that. He has won the victory through His work on the cross and His resurrection. If we belong to Jesus, we get every blessing that He's won for us. Remember that. If you belong to Jesus, you get every blessing that he's won for us. And nothing, 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 nothing can ever take that away from you. So friends, today, I want you to walk away from the sermon sermon, not having a list of 10 things that I have to do now in the Christian life. That's not the point. But the point of this passage is to help you walk away and rejoice and praise God and worship him for this incredible hope that we have. A hope that not even sin and death can defeat. Praise God for a new identity, a new humanity. You are a new person. If you are in Christ, remember that. You are deeply loved by God. He has given His Son to die for your sins. He's paid it all for you. And nothing, nothing, nothing can ever change that. Sin doesn't define you anymore. You don't belong to Adam. You belong to Jesus. This is who you are. Do you realize who you are? So maybe, you know, when Mikey asked me before, tell me about yourself. Maybe my answer should have been different. (laughs) Maybe it shouldn't be my family and my job that defines me. Isn't that how we always answer? Shouldn't it be our identity in Jesus Christ? the hope that he wins for us, that, hey, sin and death, they're not my boss anymore. I'm a new person, and I live completely differently because of Jesus. Take hold of this privileged identity, friends, because when you do, I think that's when you actually live a life that is fulfilling, a life that brings joy, because this is who you are made to be. When you discover your purpose, I think that's when all those things fall into place. And I think when you live like this, it brings such honour and praise to your great God who's made you to be his children. Remember, nothing in this world can ever take away your hope. Let me pray. Father God, we pray. Actually, we just praise, first of all, that you would send your son Jesus Christ to die for us when we least deserved it. Thank you that death and sin, things that seemed impossible to beat, Jesus Christ has defeated, and we now reign with him in life. Life and grace, that's what defines us. Jesus Christ, our King, defines us and help us to hold on to that each and every day until he returns to take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.